Hi, and welcome back to the Digital Sociology Podcast. So, things have changed a little bit here, and I'm no longer able to properly edit and um, add music and um, uh, intros and outros properly to my podcasts. Now, the reason for this is that um, partly I've got too much work to do, but mostly because I've uh, developed quite bad uh, RSI or repetitive strain injury in one of my arms, um, which makes doing any kind of computer work over and above the stuff I really, really have to do for work uh, quite difficult. So um, uh, that's also one of the reasons why some of these podcast episodes have been delayed. I've talked some more about this on my blog, um, and so you can look on this is not a sociology um, dot blog. Um, for more um, info on, on this, on why I've made this decision, um, uh, and more kind of whinging and moaning from me. But uh, the crux of it is um, that I wanted to continue doing the podcast, um, but didn't want to kind of cause myself any more damage. So I made the decision um, to um, put the, the rest of the episodes out that I've already recorded, uh, and hopefully do some more um, without much further delay, but uh, without really any editing um, of much uh, at all. So uh, I hope that doesn't uh, damage your enjoyment of these too much because I think that the um, the interviews uh, that I've done uh, w- with uh, my guests um, have been, uh, in my opinion, really fascinating uh, because of the guests, not because of me. And I don't think that they should just kind of rot away on my hard drive. So um hope you still enjoy these and um hope to see you again soon hi so today i'm talking to harry dyer who is a lecturer in education at the university of uh, east anglia so hi harry hi there hey hi thanks for coming to talk to me not a problem at all it's lovely to take part in this it's a brilliant idea for a podcast oh good thanks <laughs> so, yeah yeah well I, I i thought so so um yeah so um uh, this is another part of my um digital sociology series um, and Harry is uh, someone who I've, I've been kind of following on Twitter for a while and following what work he's been doing. So I was really uh, interested to, uh, to talk to him. Um, so I think um, your work really is, uh, you see yourself as a digital sociologist? Yeah, yeah, I think I'm owning that title over the last few years. Yeah, yeah I'm very comfortable in the field. It's, it's something that I, I am, I'm more comfortable dealing with theory and dealing with social theory as the, on the whole and, and applying that to digital realms. And mm. so I'm, I'm, yeah, more than happy to, to see where the field's developing and, yeah, very proud to be part of it. Um, and your, your, your work's focused mostly, it's your empirical work, around uh, social media platform design in relation to how it affects identity, would you say? Yeah, yeah. I'm very interested in uh, looking at the designs of the platform, looking at the ways they shape how we can act and interact and, and what it means to be uh, presenting identity on platforms that are very restricted. I mean, if you look back at like the early days of MySpace, mm. um, where I think Donna Boyd called it like a, a bedroom wall where you yeah. could change the background, change the font, yeah. have music blaring and all that. It was quite individual in what you could do. Yeah, it mm. took a load of coding. Yeah, it took a load of knowledge. But um, there were options. And now everyone kind of has a, a very formulaic site mm. with restrictions on, on how they can act or how many characters they've got or mm. what formats they can post in. So I was curious as to how 
identity emerged in those spaces and, and uh, what was lost and what was gained and not just looking at the affordances themselves, <laughs> not just like looking at what was available, but also how it framed, who it gave voice to, who it took that voice away from, um, how it defined what it was to be social, mm-hmm. um, just trying to understand and unpack the relationship between design and identity and broader social ideals. So would you say we we'll move, or we have moved towards a more restrictive kind of model or a platform design um, from compared to in the earlier days? It's interesting because so the very first project I did was looking at uh, Second Life, right? Um, okay. Which was six years ago. And mm. for those who, who don't remember Second Life, it was sort of a... Uh, virtual game slash social space where you could create an avatar and create absolutely anything you wanted to and interact with other people's avatars Mm. um and the whole the whole idea of second life was that you could literally do anything that you wanted to do Mm. you were only restricted by your ability and by your creativity um and in that project i was i was you know taking on the idea of early digital utopianism and and mm-hmm. the idea that we could literally do anything we wanted and be free of social discourse online and i found that despite this sort of uh, open platform where you could do whatever you wanted we still um found the same social discourses pervading these spaces mm-hmm. issues of racism and sexism and conformity towards social discourse with some slight changes and alterations but we put restrictions on it ourselves um but in terms of the design yeah i do think it's become more restrictive uh, over time we've been given less options to mm. to present ourselves doesn't mean that we can't um approach it in novel ways and do things that the designers haven't expected which i think is always interesting not just looking at um the design and what that, what's expected of us in those spaces for looking at sort of novel uses. I mean, text messages when it started up were not expected by mobile phone companies to be a big a big thing, and they suddenly became a massive format that people were were using over time. And, and so I, I find that always interesting that uh, despite design intentions, it might go in, in, yeah. in different ways and different things take off. Sometimes they don't, sometimes they do. Were text messages originally mostly for engineers? Yeah. No, exactly. for engineers to, to communicate messages about network issues or, or, or whatever they, they were doing. Exactly that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they didn't expect it to be something that was so popular. Now, mm. you know, that shaped Twitter and mm. its restricted characters. That That's a tie-on mm. from text messaging and all these sorts of things. You can kind of trace the lineage back to some of the the bizarre things that happened as the technology was emerging that mm. still have their footprints in how it's shaped yeah. today. Um, yes, I think also, I think Twitter, um, I re- I've forgotten what it was now, I read um, what Twitter was going to be called. It was some kind of play on S- SMS, oh. I think. Um, yeah. yeah, I can't remember this, but uh, yeah, yeah, I find it, it, because it, it was, it was, as you say, it was direct lineage from that, actually, yeah. from, from um, text messages. Um, yeah, that, I think that I think that's perhaps true, um, and perhaps that actually is something which does appeal to people, actually. Yeah. Um, or at least maybe appeals to a broader public. Yeah. Um, the the more hobbyist and um, that more open type system maybe appeals to a certain a certain group of people. Yeah but maybe not the, the the mass. That's why I moved away from looking at Second Life, not just because it was uh, dying and incredibly dated, but because mm. 
it was um it was niche and i wanted mm. to understand technology and social media as it existed in sort of everyday life in everybody's um everybody in the broad sense uh, in 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 our mm. lives and and in the sort of mundanity of our lives and i think part of, yeah part of the reason we're seeing this uh, context collapse of parents and and colleagues and absolutely everybody on Facebook in some extent is because it's so easy, it's so um, <clears throat> accessible, so open and, and you don't have to know very much to be able to jump on the site. So you can just jump on, set up an account and, and fumble your way through it. So yeah, mm. it definitely has increased their audience and it's led to it being less a space for youth and for hobbyists and more sort of something that has in the past few years just come to absolutely take over parts of a lot of people's mm. everyday lives so um the research which you've done for your kind of phd and yeah. outside of that um that, that's focused on on younger people yeah yeah so ostensibly i wanted to look at if there was something unique about what young people were doing online um what sort of uh, spaces they were in because a lot of the research out there has always traditionally focused on youth um, mm. as early adopters or as slightly catch-all digital mm. natives and all of these terms that get thrown around. Um, and I kind of wanted to see what the youth experience was, if there was a singular youth experience, what it meant to be um, undergoing certain changes during their time. So, for example, I looked at uh, for the PhD, I had some participants who were moving from school to university mm. during the time that I was interviewing them. I had uh, some people moving from university to their first job. I had um, uh, people exploring their sexuality and having mental health issues and, and some of the stuff that gets talked around in, in discussions of youth culture in general. I luckily, I had uh, about 10 participants uh, and we got a, a broad range of experiences from mm. them as we were fo as I was following them throughout a year, uh, looking at how changes in their social cultural situations affected how they understood mm. the platforms and, and engaged with aspects of design. Um, so yeah, I was, I was keen to see if there was something unique about what the youth experience mm. and what was going on in, in that time of their lives. What kinds of things did you find? Did you find there was something distinctive there? So. Yes, in a way, there's a lot of weight and importance put on identity and uh, sort of an awareness and criticality of, of who they are. Mm. Um, I, of course, that exists in older generations. Of course, um, you know, that's that's not necessarily unique to teens, but they're a lot more aware of it and a lot more bound up in the importance of identity and in the, in the importance of these spaces and and in social pursuits. Mm. It was interesting to see that the people leaving university starting work were moving away from social media as a social space for them and as a place of networking or right. a place of um, uh, future concerns mm. and you know the whole idea of a digital footprint and, and trying to erase, erase what they'd already put up there and um, going back on what they'd done. But yeah, there, there was a slight... Uh, concern and thought that went into uh, how they presented identity. I'm really interested in, in moving on to look at older generations now, mm. um, particularly with the uptake on, on Facebook and on other platforms um, of older generations. I'm really curious to see what their experiences are and how they 
frame and think about identity uh, if you know if there's something generational there um the main reason I, I wanted to look at youth was because if i'm interested in design i didn't want to just focus on one or two platforms i wanted to get a wide range mm. of platforms and a wide range of spaces and and they were very much present across a whole range of social media platforms and a, a whole range of spaces it was really interesting to you know, ask them what they were doing online and what spaces they were involved in, particularly as, you know, often I feel uh, academic definitions of social media and the sort of boundaries we draw around what's social media, what's mm -hmm. private messaging, maybe aren't seen by the users. Their definition of what social media was included uh, comment board sections and, and video games and all these sorts of spaces mm. that they viewed as social, as key to their social lives. Mm. Uh, it was really interesting to see those that broad variety of media. And did you find that they would um, <coughs> engage quite differently with those spaces as well? That, that there's kind of um, maybe etiquette or at least kind of ways, appropriate ways of engaging in those different uh, on those different platforms. Yeah, they had an, a, a, an awareness of what was appropriate for that platform, um, what was best practice for the platform, how to get, you know, you talked about uh, hours of the day to post up Instagram posts and when to get the most likes. And um, um, they were aware... Also times, uh, time, uh, times when people, they know people will be looking yeah. at their phones. And they know people will be looking at phones or when they can... They're very aware of, of how to get the most out of these platforms and really quite savvy about it. Mm. Um, and yeah, they they were aware that the different sites for them were for different purposes. Um, they had quite segmented identities, which I thought was a really interesting thing to find. Is that there was overlap between what they were doing on the platforms, but they viewed them very differently. Part of what I did for the PhD is we did um, a film script analysis where I got them to talk about. Uh, identity without directly talking about identity we said um you know if someone was to make a film with this profile what would that film be what genre would it be who would play you what would the audience be like who would want to see it all these sorts of ways of getting it at identity without directly talking about it um and the films that they came up with for the platforms were very different very separate sort of aspects of their overall identity or, or, or mm. of themselves even on the same platform, some of them had like multiple accounts, mm. private ones, public ones, ones for like supernatural fandoms or whatever mm. fandoms they were into. And they had different aspects and, and different times of day they'd post for those sort of things. So yeah, it was quite segmented in an interesting way. Yeah, that is, um, that's really fascinating. Um, and I think that the way that they, um, they're much more, this is from, and I, it's not my area of research, but from yeah. reading about it and what I've found is that the consensus seems to be that younger people are pretty savvy with this stuff, yeah. and much more so than maybe often older generations consider them to be, and certainly more so than the older generations tend to be, yeah. um, who are perhaps more, may use one or two different kind of um, platforms, but maybe use them just in, in the same kind of way in terms of what yeah. they put out there. Where, and they assume that the kids are being kind of careless or uh, whereas actually there's a lot of thought put into it. There really is. I mean, that's one of my big bugbears. And, you know, I try and be really positive about what social media mm. can be for young people. You know, there's often this 
Um, I'm often asked to comment upon how social media is destroying the youth of today and how they're being overly sexual or mm. overly exploring uh, these ideas without the older generation realising that what they were doing in the playgrounds when they were young and going to explore in the woods or whatever mm. they were doing, that's happening now online. It's, mm. it's a different space and it does have some permanence and there are risks that we need mm. to make children aware of and make young people aware of. But at the same time, I feel there is this sort of um, almost a moral panic around um, this generation being reckless mm. and, and, and being overly... Uh, um, well, just uh, entirely reckless with what they're putting online. I feel mm. that there's a need to tamper that that narrative somewhat. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it, if anything, there's well, um, there's there's not an overwhelming one or the other, but actually, certainly what I observe <coughs> anecdotally from dealing with um, older teenagers uh, as a lecturer at university is. It's high levels of anxiety and, yeah. and caution and concern about the future and about the consequences of doing this rather than that and, and this kind of thing. I don't yes. know if that's sort of tied to um, the, the kinds of things you're describing or not, but actually, I don't. I'm not observing a kind of this this yes. tear away generation. Exactly. No, they are. They're very aware. They're very anxious. They're very. They do take precautions. You know, they do stuff. Um, what I'm interested in, in in terms of design and identity is where there's these compromises between um, accepting having to be public, for example, on Twitter. Mm. Some of them said, oh, you know, I absolutely feel that I have to be public and, in mm. order to get the most out of the platform. And, and others will come to some sort of way of um, negotiating it so that only certain people see these uh, images or mm. they'll share them in groups or private messaging or make use of snapchat and mm. other platforms where it can disappear so they they are quite savvy and they are aware of their footprint and mm. and how it's going to impact them in the future yeah i mean maybe what i found in in, in tracking 16 to 25 year olds is the older generation were more immediately aware of that and were mm. going sort of um doing that cleanse in real time as they were you know shifting how they use these spaces but is that in order to be more yeah. professional? <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, in order to sort of draw a line under uni drinking and all that mm. sort of socialising, which the generation coming into university were trying to present themselves as, you know, I'm, I can have a fun time and mm. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here and enjoying myself and making new friends, whereas mm. the older generation were thinking about maybe moving that behind and trying to be a mm. bit more professional-facing. Yeah, but they are aware of it, yeah, they're very savvy and very critical so uh, you talked a bit there about about uh, kind of constructing and reconstructing identity and um, over time, and then also um, I suppose cross sectionally at the same time on different platforms and yeah. to some extent. And I think you've used uh, Irving Goffman yeah. to some extent theoretically um, for this. Um, obviously, um, for again for people who may not be aware, he, he, he's um, used a, a dramaturgical metaphor, as I yes. do, isn't it? In terms of that, that people present different. Um, or play different roles in different contexts. So how how did you kind of apply that? So, yeah, I was really interested in Goffman's work and in, in unpacking how we were performing identity, given that <clears throat> the stage itself would vary from place to place. Mm. I, I originally framed that in terms of uh, Foucault, my first academic crush. <laughs> um, I'm still getting over yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and in terms of everything as an extension of social discourse mm. um, and the power structures 
from offline worlds, sort of finding themselves in, in new mediums and manifesting themselves in new ways. And then I had the most uh, cliched sort of uh, psychology 101, uh, philosophy 101 discussion with my supervisor um, about a table while we were sitting around a table and, and talking about the reality of the table in front of us. And, and it, it, it's it always took, a table. <laughs> I know, it's, it's more than a table, but it's a table. And it, it, it took a very short amount of time for me to uh, realize that the, the table had a physical mm. reality that impacted how we moved around the room and, and how we acted and interacted. So I was, I was keen to account for that sort of physicality online. Um, mm. I did that through thinking about uh, identity as a performance, but a performance that was bound to a specific space and place. And I did that through Bruno Latour's work in Act to Network Theory. Yeah. Uh, Karen Barard's work in, in really fascinating work in, in physics and feminism um, and through looking at comic books, which is um, something I never thought I'd bring into a theoretical discussion. But um, in essence, comic book research suggests you get, uh, you create a narrative out of a series of images, one after the other after the other. Mm. And our narrative of that is guided by the design. But in between the images, we fill in that gap in a very individual way, guided by what the images on either side, but we fill it in based on our understanding of other texts and everything we bring with us as socially culturally grounded people, so that the overall narrative is shaped by the design, but also very individual in our own sort of way. Right. Um, and I saw that coming through in the identities online as being a sort of narrative that was guided through what was put in place by the designers, but also filled in by our understanding of other texts and by our understanding of how grounded social cultural issues we brought with us. So is that in terms of when I'm constructing my identity online, I'm, <coughs> I'm doing that, or when I'm reading someone else's? So that or was, both? Yeah, a, a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah. In, in terms of how we went around constructing in a sort of ongoing way as a ongoing narrative of negotiating the design elements, filling in the gaps yeah. in continually because, you know, unlike that sort of media, it's it's constantly uh, interactive. It's constantly piling on new information into these mediums. Uh, but it's also in the way we, we read other people's texts. We always fill in the gap. If you look at someone's Instagram wall or their Facebook wall, it's a series of images or a series of, of discrete text and yeah we fill it's it quite in. fragmentary really exactly it's fragmented and, and juxtaposed and we fill it in based on how much we know of them and, and how much information we've got about them plus some assumptions mm. and some understandings of that space so yeah I, I see a lot of parallels between the way comic books are talked about and, and the way that social media works that's really I'm really interested in that I've, I've not heard of that that kind of reading before but that makes a lot of sense to me and I like, I like to talk about comic books as well. So that, that, that helps, uh, but but, but it, it really is, and I, and I think it is. Um, that's a really useful way of thinking about the form, mm -hmm. um, and actually seeing um, the form of social media um, as a as a technical, a socio technical mm -hmm. kind of assemblage in that kind of uh, actor network theory kind of way, but also as a as kind of a text yeah. um, it is useful there as well. And thinking about that and something that. You probably know more about this than I do. I'm sure you will. But um, the issue of kind of uh, of time and temporality—I don't know how much that's been discussed in that. And 
and something that I often think about because um, I really like Alan Moore's yeah. uh, comics and, and time is one of his kind of major considerations really temporality yeah. um, and he kind of plays around that with in in terms of the form and the content and, and everything else and, and plays around with what it means you know what a comic book is um, and and obviously you can you know when you're when you're reading a comic you can kind of you can go back and yeah uh, and or, or you can read it backwards or whatever you wanted to and I don't know quite what role temporality plays in, which is clearly an important one, but in that kind of construct, that, that scenario which you just described. Yeah, I mean, th- this is w- what I find fascinating about unpacking the way that um, social media acts as a text, as a narrative, is that it, mm. it's constantly reconstructing itself, that... Um, that we do have this ability to reach back and potentially, you know, reach uh, forward in, in some ways. You see a sort of um, uh, the framing of, of being temporal on Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, of being social on Facebook is, is very much based around the past, around things that have happened, mm-hmm. about discussions that have been going on with people that you already know. Whereas Twitter's very in the now, very yeah. around things as they unfold, around... Um, talking with people around like-minded topics um, and you don't have much of that reflection on Twitter. Every now and then I'll go back through my tweets and, and have a look at something I posted a, a year or so ago and be absolutely no idea what on earth I was talking about <laughs> or what was going on. But there's a sort of reflection happens a bit more yeah. on Facebook uh, and particularly with them introducing time hop and those sort of self reflective things of here's what you were doing yeah the friend anniversaries and these kind of things yeah. yeah they're very aware of that of that sort of temporal shift and that that ability to be to move a narrative backwards and forwards it's really interesting absolutely and that's where you can see that exactly that you know the focus of your kind of work that the the design elements <clears throat> construct that that sense of reality or, or that sense of or, or an um uh, of how time passes and this kind of thing exactly mm. and like you say yeah if you go back and look at your tweets from a year or so ago <laughs> because the context's gone yeah you, you might well have been you, you almost certainly will have been referring to perhaps other people's tweets or yeah. things that are kind of in the cultural ether at the time um <laughs> absolutely yeah and and i wonder if because it's, it seems that increasingly so nostalgia is almost kind of built into the kind of the Facebook. Mm. This is something I, I, I did an, another interview with um, Sean um, Lincoln yeah. um, and she, she, she spoke about this uh, and I found that very interesting that it, it's almost like Facebook is becoming a nostalgic space. Yeah. Especially as, I don't, again, I don't know the stats on this, but it seems that it's an older demographic, or at least there, there, there is an older demographic there than there would be with Snapchat. Or, or... It's shifting that way. It really is. Um, we were, I was having some interesting discussions at the conference I just came back from in Toronto around mm. this idea of whether Facebook is dying, what, mm. whether young people are leaving it, um, and what that, what that means for the future of the platform. Um, and, and so the Pew research and most of the research mm. out there shows that it is the most used platform, mm. that young people are still there, <clears throat> but potentially are not engaging mm. with the platform, not putting much up there, or um, are very just using Messenger. Just using Messenger, using mm. other parts of it. I mean, my research for the PhD found that um, rather than sort of Facebook being the 
uh, rule being the the central space for their experiences and being the sort of default social media site for them it was a very different space to every other platform because their parents were on it because mm. their their aunties and uncles and grandparents and that all needed negotiation for them it was it was an exception to the social media experience it was something that they were very aware of the audience and who they were talking to and, and what that meant for what they shared. So it's very individual um, uh, platform rather than being something that we could generalize to all social mm. media. It was very different to them. Yeah. I mean, I suppose, yeah, I suppose <clears throat> most platforms are kind of, well, actually, are most platforms individual? In, well, oh, in, in, I mean, then there's some that are quite similar yes. to one another. They're kind of message board type forms, the kind of uh, Reddits and 4chan's, even though they have different kind of cultures to them. Yeah. They are quite similar stru structurally, they seem to be. Yeah, I think they're all very different. I think they're all, even on, so, you know, there's some similarities. You know, Facebook mm. will use hashtags and, in, and Instagram mm. and Twitter will use hashtags. Mm. They're very different. Hashtags mm. are very different on all three platforms. Mm, that's true. They, they're either ironic on Facebook or, or just barely used, and on, on Twitter and Instagram, they have a, a different sort mm. of life around them. And, um, you know, all, all of those sites have public options, but you very rarely see public posting on Facebook unless mm. it's for a specific reason, whereas on Instagram and Twitter, there's, yeah. there's this idea of public. So I think, although there are similarities across the platforms, um, it, given the context of that site and everything else that's loaded in with it, you can't just say, and this is why I don't just look at the affordances, is you can't just say, well, it has hashtags, so yeah. that means X, Y, Z. It's, it's bound up in the entirety of that site and on the platform and in the individual users as well. Um, in relation to that, what I was um, asked you about is, um, is it possible to build community online? Mm. Um, I suppose by community I mean um, something with a sense of solidarity um, collective efficacy even something like that um, I th I think um, I think you, you'll probably veer towards there might be a possibility of that because I know some people have been very negative about that yes um, I'm really, yeah, really interested to know what you think I definitely think it's, you know, there's shifts in what we consider community in how we understand what it is to be a community, what makes that functional. Mm. It's for so long been tied up in, in geographical closeness, in, in, mm. in people that you've known through contacts. And, and, and now it's shifting towards people who have like-minded interests and, and are able to find each other in these spaces. Um, and you do see you do see community emerge. You do see people sharing and 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 interacting and and forming bonds. I mean, I've read interesting papers around communities evolving in Wikipedia editing and mm -hmm. and, and in all these sort of unexpected spaces. For my PhD, I found um, uh, uh, one of the participants was talking about how they had community in. The anonymous comment sections of a um, of a blog, mm. um, which you know they all used usernames and they didn't know anything about each other per se, um, in terms of their physical name or their appearance, but they knew a hell of a lot about each other in terms of like 
um, some of the experiences they were going through because they shared an awful lot about their lives and about um, their relationships and about their concerns and their politics and so on. So despite them only being usernames uh, ostensibly and not knowing much about them, there was this element of community coming out there, mm. this idea of um, a very supportive group that um, that, sh- that the participant felt she could go to for issues and problems and 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 engage with that with that platform with those people there. So yeah, I think it's a different sort of community, and I think those definitions continue to shift over time in the sort of medium as the message Marshall McLuhan mm. way, but. Yeah, I still think community can evolve and, and does evolve in these spaces. Um, do you think, in some contexts, the anonymity <coughs> enables that? Is that kind of what you're you're kind of suggesting there? Um, because Facebook and, and Zuckerberg would su- yes. suggest that, if, effectively, their reading is that community uh, and trust as well, which is a, mm-hmm. I think is a part of community, um, isn't possible without using your real name, without yes. real solid identities. Yeah, he suggests it's inauthentic, right? Mm. You, 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 to have multiple identities, mm. to have more than one identity is mm. inauthentic in Mark Zuckerberg's view. Now, that's bound up in in a lot of his um, social cultural assumptions and ideas. Mm. But nonetheless, um, yeah, there is this idea of anonymity as an automatic negative on the internet, something that leads to mm. trolling and um, negative experiences and bullying. <clears throat> And that's certainly true. It does happen, particularly on some sites. You look at the problems with uh, Twitter not mm. dealing in in any meaningful way with the uh, experiences of people of colour mm. and LGBTQ and females. Not, their, their experiences are not getting dealt with. And the although although there, not, I, I, from my observation, not that many people are necessarily anonymous on, no. on Twitter or, or don't make a significant effort to be anonymous. No, maybe not. No, I, I think... There is a lot more trolling going on with names and with usernames. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. But I, I think anonymity can be a positive. It can mm. be a force for good. And I'm, I'm keen to highlight that as an experience of using anonymity, that given correct measures, given um, supportive environments, decent moderation on those platforms, that actually mm. anonymity can provide a, a really useful community for for people in a way of um, using those spaces in freely and talking about issues that you might not be able to talk about otherwise uh, I found it a really interesting byproduct but yeah there is still this idea of it being inauthentic or mm. of, of, of the social having to be a particular way but as I say for me that's bound up in in assumptions that give voice to certain people or take it away from certain people you look at Facebook's insistence on a gender binary for a very mm. long time with people fleeing to LO. Do you remember LO? That was oh, a yes. platform that yeah, everyone yeah. went to that, that, um, for a little bit of time. Yeah. I think I've still got an account. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, their insistence on gender binary or on real name policies of, mm. of insisting that you use your, your real name, it, it, it gives voice to certain people and takes voice away mm. from, say, LGBTQ communities. Definitely. Even the fact that 90% of the internet's in English, yep. those design choices mm. take voice away from certain Of course, there's a, there's a business concern for them as yeah, well yeah. with um, building identity profiles. Oh, yeah, no, it's incredibly useful for them. I mean, mm. this is 
you're seeing social media increasingly not just there's sort of this convergence in that a load of other websites are integrating web 2.0 features and encouraging social mm. interaction and at the same time the traditional social networking sites are getting marketing and putting mm. on news and videos and private messaging and, and becoming these sites that do everything and anything they can so they're not just about socializing mm. they've got a whole bunch of commercial interests bound up in mm. in their decisions around that and, and having you use a real name having you use something that they can then market you certain products is is makes perfect sense to them and helps their advertising yeah definitely though i've seen some um <coughs> some of the more um traditional if you like websites in terms of that are just providing content have actually moved away from having things like message boards yeah because of the hassle of them uh, and I suppose partly because um, effective, one I can think of is like the Empire, that movie. Mm. Um, they used to have quite active message boards and then they shut them down because they were basically too much hassle. I, and mm. I assume also because actually they could have that conversation um, so, uh, on just uh, on Twitter or on Facebook or, yeah. or whatever. I mean, that's what, what I found super interesting about that, that case of my participant who found um, positivity and anonymity mm. was that... Um, it was around a website that was uh, a feminist website uh, about female experiences. And mm. uh, because of that, I think it encouraged it. If you look at the Daily Mail comment section, it's certainly mm. <laughs> a very different experience in a very different space. And it doesn't mean that they didn't have issues in that community and they didn't have yeah. trolls come in or, 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 you know, some debates and some fights. But um, they found it positive on yeah. the whole. Yeah. And I think what you mentioned previously around... Um, community kind of building around around interests yeah. is really important. And that's something, because I think um, there's, uh, some people seem to have made this suggestion in, in discussions around subcultures that let's say, like, oh, we don't really have proper subcultures anymore, yeah. like, in, <laughs> like in the 60s. Um, but what they mean is there isn't the kind of yeah. um, overtly visible, um, you know, um, people dressing in a certain way, yeah. you know, as rockers or as punks or whatever, hanging around in spaces really visibly in nightclubs or in, you know, wherever at, at gigs. But whereas yeah. if you think about the, um, the, the huge amounts of, even just on what, for one example of like Reddit, there's subreddits yeah. around Star Wars and Harry Potter and, and various just permutations of, of those and other things. And yeah. um, are effectively kind of subcultures of a certain kind. And they certainly have kind of communities yeah. and, and rules and norms and, and these kinds of things around them. And one of the interesting things about that to me is that, you know, that in, in geek subcultures, there's mm. been a sort of decrying of it becoming normalised and mm. more and more people getting involved in it. And I think part of that's because we're now interacting around things that mm. we like and people are able to share and say, you know, I, I, I love Jurassic World growing up or I really love Powerpuff Girls or I, I love mm. My Little Pony. And they're, they're finding these communities and mm. it's becoming more mainstream. It's becoming... Um, mm out there for people to get involved in yeah so i do think it is happening but maybe yeah behind behind the screen yeah um and yeah yeah the the, uh, the geeks in, yeah, inherit the earth yeah <laughs> they <laughs> so, are they yeah, are slowly yeah. um <laughs> yeah okay i think that's that's quite a nice positive uh, way to end so i'll say um thank you for for talking to me harry it's been really interesting and i look forward to following your work and maybe catching up for a chat in the future that'd be lovely thank you very much right. thanks